depths of the sea of God's forgetfulness, removed as the east is from west, far away from all power and principality, my sins are in the depths of the sea. Depths of the sea of God's forgetfulness, removed as the east is from west, far away from all power and principality. My sins are in the depths of the sea. My sins are in the depths of the sea. Lord, amen. I hope your sins are in the depths of the sea, amen. If they're not, you better get them there. That's the only good place for them, amen. <clears throat> Let's take our Bibles today and turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 today. Again, we're so thrilled to have you with us this afternoon, or should I say morning, really. It'll be afternoon in a little bit. So right now, we'll just stick with the morning, amen? Don't want to wish our life away, do we? Yeah, okay, but anyway, moving on. I'm moving a little quick for myself and everyone else, it seems. Okay, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And while you're turning there, in order to slow things down then, I just read a few signs, or I read about a few signs. I shared these with some of the singles this morning, and they thought it might be a very uh, a blessing and a help to each and every one of you as well. But um, this particular sign was spotted in a uh, restroom, a toilet of a London office. It said, toilet out of order, please use floor below. <laughs> this one was found in a laundromat. It said, automatic washing machines. Please remove all your clothes when the light goes out. This was in a London department store. It said, bargain basement upstairs. <clears throat> this was found in an office. Would the person who took the step ladder yesterday please bring it back or further steps will be taken? <laughs> this was found in an office. After tea break, staff should empty the teapot and stand upside down on the draining board. <clears throat> Outside of a second-hand shop, a sign was read, We exchange anything, bicycles, washing machines, etc. Why not bring your wife along and get a wonderful bargain? <clears throat> oh, boy. His wife isn't here, obviously, right now. <clears throat> notice in health... Uh, this was a notice that was in a health food window. It said... Closed due to illness. <laughs> this was spotted in a safari park. You know, you drive through and there are animals. Well, elephants, please stay in your car. <laughs> elephants, please stay in your car. Okay. All right. Notice in a farmer's field. The farmer allows walkers to cross the field for free, but the bull charges. <clears throat> This was a message on a leaflet. It said, if you cannot read, this leaflet will tell you how to get lessons. 
And finally, on a repair shop door, it said, we can repair anything. Please knock hard on the door. The bell doesn't work. <laughs> All right, Luke chapter 10. Praise the Lord. We're going to slow down now. Maybe we can get to where we're going here. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. We're going to read through verse 42 this morning. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. The Bible says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha had received Jesus into her house, her home. The Bible says a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She obviously went to great lengths to ensure that the master's stay was comfortable, that it would be enjoyable. The Bible tells us that, on the other hand, Mary, the other sister, she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him intently focused and directed at him. But Mary, all along, was cumbered and troubled with much serving, the Bible says. She becomes so frustrated, so overwhelmed by her busyness, the activity of the day, the thought of serving and caring for the Master, and I'm sure a number of his disciples, if not all, that she ultimately appeals to Jesus Christ and asked him to make Mary help her instead of taking leisure at his feet. Now, we know that there's no excuse for laziness. We understand that that's not something that God is fond of, laziness. But that isn't what was going on in this particular situation. Mary wasn't simply being lazy. She wasn't just trying to get out of work. She wasn't like my friend Smitty in the military who every time he came to a long run, he had to use the restroom. And they'd say, where's Smitty? Oh, he's in the restroom. And he conveniently stayed there till everybody was out of sight. And then he would come back out as we rounded the corner, finishing our run. That was not Mary at all. Mary wasn't trying to get out of work. She wasn't trying to get over. She wasn't lazy in the least. But Mary was troubled. She was extremely concerned. Now, <clears throat> Jesus responds to her by saying, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken from her. I guess the implication from what I can tell is that <clears throat> there are times when good things 
are not the best things. That's what it seems like. Again, let me say that. There are times when good things are not the best things. I mean, Martha was occupied with good things. She was preparing a meal. She was setting the table. She was cleaning up a mess. She was tidying up the house. All of those things were good things. They were admirable. They were necessary. They were needful. They were certainly an undertaking that was good. However, it didn't take precedence over sitting at the feet of Jesus. See, some things that are good can become distractions from that which is best. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, turn there if you would please. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. This is probably a very familiar passage to many, but maybe, possibly, it's the first time you've ever heard it, but we're going to learn something about the devil. We're going to learn something about who the Bible calls our adversary. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The fact is, is that Satan is our adversary. He is our enemy. And the Bible tells us that he is as a roaring lion, and he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, the honest truth is this. If you're a child of God today, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then he cannot destroy you. He cannot take you down to hell with him. He cannot annihilate you. He can't do away with you in that regard. But may I say this? He can indeed deceive you, and he can distract you. And I'm sad to say that his strategy in my own life as well as in the lives of many other believers has been more successful than I would like to admit. Like Martha, you and I are guilty of becoming busy with the good and distracted from the best. Now again, there's nothing inherently wrong with the good. But we cannot allow ourselves to be deceived or distracted from the best. The best is Him. Jesus Christ. It's His ways and His work and His will. That is the best. We often are guilty of trying to sprinkle God into our lives, aren't we? We have all of these good things that we do and we have a tendency to try to sprinkle God into the mix. Add Him to the equation. We're more often distracted by the cares of this world than we would like to admit, I think. In the parable of the sower, we read about seed that was sown upon thorny ground. And let me read what the Bible tells us, the Lord Jesus speaking says, And these are they which are sown among thorns. We have a sower that went out and he sowed the seed of the gospel, trying to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Notice again, the cares of this world. Martha was busy about the cares of this world. And Mary had chosen not to be distracted. She was disciplined. 
Remember, the good can distract from the best. Now, as we said, there's nothing inherently wrong with the good. But we cannot allow ourselves to be deceived or distracted from the best. And so today, this morning, I want to list some cares of this world that are not inherently wrong in and of themselves. But they can become distractions from the best. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll look at just five. Father, we come to you. We need you today. And we pray for your leadership and love in our life. Help us today that have gathered here. We need you today. And Father, may our hearts be sensitive to your Holy Spirit May we not, Father, be so quickly offended because, Lord, truly we know that the Word of God will offend. We understand, Lord, that truth will do so. But, Father, on the other hand, Lord, help us to be open to your Word. Oh, God, bless us now. Encourage us. And if there be those that are without Christ, may they recognize a need to come to Him. For, Father, He is worthy of our adoration and our love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If indeed today you have not come to the place in your life where you recognize that you're a sinner, that you not only know that you're a sinner, but you realize that you're inherently one. See, it's one thing to say, I know I'm a sinner. I'm like everybody else. Everybody's a sinner. That's fine. But there has to be a recognition that really at the root of your being, the very root or core of your person, you are sin. And that there's nothing about you that is pleasant or pleasurable to a God who is holy. And that you come to the place where you realize that if you really want a relationship with the God who created you, then you must do something about your sin. And what the conclusion is in the Word of God is that really you and I can do nothing about our sin except trust Him, Jesus, who died on an old rugged cross, shed His precious blood, and His body broken on our behalf... We can only trust Him in His finished work on Calvary as payment for our sin. Literally, His blood washes our sin away. If there's never been a time in your life when you realize that Jesus Christ only, only He could wash you from your sin, only He could erase and eradicate and do away with and bury your sin in the depth of the sea, then my friend today, you are lost without Him. This message will not make any sense to you. But I asked you to be patient and just listen. Because even though the words you will hear will not do a thing for you today personally, the Spirit of God will take what is said in spite of those words and will drive home the reality that you need Jesus Christ in your life. Don't get caught up or hung up on what will be said today. Don't say, this is, ir- this is irresponsible. This doesn't make any sense. This is really uh, out of this world. Because, Well, you can say that because it is out of this world. It's supernatural, true. And it only makes sense to those that know Christ and are submitted to His Word. If you're a carnal Christian today, meaning you're still fleshly, you've chosen not to yield to the Holy Spirit of God, this message will seem like, it will seem totally ridiculous to you. It'll seem as though I'm telling you to hate things that you know for a fact are good. But remember, the Word of God is always true. May we ask God's Spirit to speak to us and use this to help us understand how, how severely we have been distracted. First of all, 
slides, please. The first area of distraction, the good thing that can keep us from the best is our family. Our family. And I, I listen, I, I understand and I, I get it, but let's listen to what God says about those things. Take your Bible and look over at Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 today, please. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. The Bible says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, the Lord Jesus said. Boy, that's a tough pill to swallow, especially in the culture in which we've been raised, where we've been told that family is the most important thing in the world. And may I say that family ought to be extremely important in your life, but family should never precede God in your life. That's what the Bible, that's the Lord speaking. Look at Matthew chapter 12, just a couple chapters over. Notice what he says in verse 46 through 50. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother, and who is my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. Notice what he did. He stretched forth his hand among those that were before him. He said, My mother and brethren. My brothers and sisters, here they are, right here. My mother, my father, my brethren, right there they are. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now again, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again, the emphasis is placed on family here. The Lord Jesus says, hey, wait a second. Family's wonderful and family is good, but it cannot become a distraction for that which is best. You've got to be careful. I told you, this is not something that fits or feels good in the flesh. Our flesh wants to say that wife or children are more important than anything. But that's not what the Bible teaches the believer. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is number one. Nothing comes before Him and nothing should precede Him and nothing should take precedence over Him anytime, any place. He's always first. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. This is the first and great commandment. This is the first family. Now listen, Martha was doing nothing wrong. Martha was busy about good things. Martha was doing things that every good wife ought to do. And I did say that correctly. But the fact is, is that what she was doing was still, at that point, good versus the best. Because she could have been seated in the front or right in the front row with Jesus Christ himself. She could have been listening to his word. She could have been gleaning from his wisdom. She could have been the one instead. But she chose the good, or chose to be distracted from the best. Number two. Can you flip that for me? This isn't working. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I'm not. There we go. Our job and our career. 
Look, if you would, at Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. We're going to read a number of verses. <clears throat> Notice what it says here. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The verse said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and must needs go and see it, and I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them, I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. Therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and shewed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden, shall taste of my supper. Oh, that's scary right there, isn't it? Listen, what we're saying, seeing basically is this. We've got some people here in our passage that found that there were some things that were occupying their time. I mean, one had bought a field. Uh, uh, another one had been involved in recently being married. This, this other one, of course, the Bible says, um, Right off the bat, had bought a piece of ground. I don't know what kind of business it is. Probably a farmer, probably some kind of into agriculture. I don't know. But the fact is, is that he was tied up, busy with his career, busy with work, busy with activity. Well, I'll tell you what, careers and work today seem to tie us up tremendously. I understand it's important that we make a living. It's important that we have an income. I realize that you can't make it without money. I understand all that. But the problem is today is that there are many opportunities where we could be sitting at the feet of Jesus, but instead we are distracted by our job, our careers. God, help us not to allow our jobs to get between what God has for us. That we don't allow it to get between the, 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 the person of Jesus Christ, the work, the will, and the way of the Lord for us. Good thing, a good thing, but a good thing that can distract us from the best. Number three, kind of goes along with this one. Let me see if this works this time. Hey, look at that. Finances. Finances. Again, we have this aspect of finances, and obviously we have jobs to create money, but we, we, we need money. We, we allow money and things to, if we're not careful, to become very, very important in our life. And, and to some degree, they're important to all of us, without a doubt. They're important to the church. I'll have a state of the church address tonight, of which I'm going to share with you our needs financially, because we're really lacking. Because our, our tithes and our offerings are low. And I'm going to break it down a little bit and help you to see who's really supporting the church and who isn't tonight. I want you to understand that those things are important and they are good. But the fact is, is this. They can distract us from that which is best. Finances often are a reason why people fail to follow the Lord Jesus like they ought to. They fail to yield themselves to His Word and to His work the way they ought to. They say, well, I have to make money, and I have to have so much, and I've got to do this, and I've got a responsibility. Well, let's read about 
what finances can do. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. Again, I understand, and, and someone can say, well, yeah, but those are good things. And they are. These are all good things. But they are good at distracting at times if we're not careful. Notice what it says in Luke chapter 14, verse 16 through, oh, excuse me, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. But godliness with contentment is great gain. By the way, that, that kind of sets the tone right there, doesn't it? Someone says, man, I've got a big bank account. Well, that isn't really what God's interested in. He wants to know how godly are you. Yeah, but I can help a lot of people with the money I've amassed. Now, God's not, he don't need your money really in that sense. And let me, let me just say this. You know, and I know some people say preachers can't say this. They'll cut their own throats. But I'm going to just be honest with you today. God doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. When it's all said and done, he does not have to have me giving my tithes and offerings and my building fund and my faith promise and my extra giving. He doesn't need that money to make this thing happen. If he wants, he could drop it out of the sky today. He gives us the privilege and the opportunity to be a part of it. Pastor's not up here begging for your money and acting like if, we don't, if you don't help us, God will just fall apart and the heaven will just disintegrate and the work of God will just go to nothing. I'm sorry, that's not the reality of it. The reality is that God gives us the privilege and the opportunity to be a part of it. In our finances today, God's not so impressed with us. I don't care if you have a million in the bank or if you got a penny in the bank. God doesn't not, that's not what he's most concerned about. What he's concerned about is that first verse right there, godliness with contentment. That's great gain, godliness. Notice what he goes on to say here. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Wow. With food and raiment. Food and raiment. He doesn't even say shelter. He just says food and raiment. If you got food and clothes on your back, be content, buddy. That's, that's, what you, that's all you really have to have, he says. Now, I know that's not what we say in America. Got to have shelter. But that's not what he says. Show me in the Bible where he says somebody has to have a house or a roof over their head. Jesus didn't. He had nowhere to lay his head. Now again, all I'm saying is, is we, we listen to what we think. We build this doctrine out of our own mindsets. We create in our own heart, in our own mind, based on our own experience and our upbringing, what is necessary and needful and what is priority number one. Good things. Hey, listen, I want a nice house for me and my family. I'd love that. I, lo I, I want a nice place. But let me tell you something. God doesn't really, he's not as concerned about me living in a nice place as he is about me and my family being godly. I got food in my belly and I got clothes on my back. And he says, that's all you really, that's all that I want for you. you you'll never have to worry about that, Mark. If you'll serve me, if you'll yield to me, if you'll give to me, you'll have those. Yeah, but I want a nice place too, Lord. I think my wife deserves a nice place. Uh, well, where's that? Say that in the Bible, ladies. Well, you know, women, they're security minded. They need a nice house and it's, they've got to be secure or they can't be content and happy. Hey, they better get godly then. That's it. Amen. They better get godly. Because let me tell you something, that's not how it works in most countries in the world. Listen, if you didn't live in America, you wouldn't have all the good things you've got today. So you telling me you could never be happy? 
Well, that's not scriptural. Anybody ever take a trip to Mexico? Anybody ever take a trip to the Philippines? Anybody ever walk by those tracks down there in the Philippines, down in Manila, and you see those little shanties and shacks that were built out of old cardboard boxes? Those people got smiles on their faces, and they got love in their heart, and Jesus Christ is number one in their life. But may I say, they don't have a roof over their head. What's going on? What's wrong with us as Americans then? Is it possible we have been distracted from the best? Could it be? Nothing wrong with those things. They're good things, but good can distract us from the best. I think in America, we're, we're so fortunate because we get our cake and eat it too. Whether we think so or not, we really do. And again, nothing wrong with those things, but hold on. He goes on to say, And having food and raiment, let us be there with content, verse 8. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare, and to many foolish and hurtful lusts, which draw men in destruction and perdition, for the love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. See, again, money is a good thing. The love of it's a bad thing. While some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What's he saying? If finances become our priority, then we love them. And if we love them, they will be the root or foundation of our destruction. And they'll bring about more evil in our lives than we can even imagine. While some covered after and erred from the faith, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness. Follow after godliness. Follow after faith. Follow after love. Follow after patience. Follow after meekness. Can I tell you what none of those are? Let me show you. I was hoping to have a 20. <laughs> I got a few of these, though. See that? I can feel it, touch it, see it. Do you know that whole list I just read? You can't feel it, touch it, or see it? This is good. That's the best. Do you get where it's going here? Do you understand? See how our minds have been so changed. We've been so programmed by our culture. Okay, let's move to the next one. How about this one? Leisure, hobbies, those kind of things. Well, let's read 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5. 2 Timothy verse 3 through 5. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 through 5. Good things, mind you. Listen, I, I think everybody should, needs a time away and apart. But hold on. For what purpose? Jesus took time off, didn't he? Let's be, be careful before we say yes. Because he did, but what did he do with his time? Does anybody remember what Jesus did with his time when he got away? He prayed. Well, everybody needs a break from God's house. We've got to stay vacation today, this week. We're staying home. We're not going to church. We're not doing anything. Oh, I see. You don't need God this week. Come on. Come on. So the good leisure, hobbies, has distracted you from the best. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I just need a break. Jesus took a break, too. He was praying. So you're telling me you're at home praying all the time? Come on. Who are we kidding? Hey, we all need to get away from time to time. We'll come. You know, we say get apart. You either go get apart or you come apart. Is that what it is or something like that? Or go apart or get apart or something? 
I think you get apart at that parts place up there on Kelly Avenue. I don't know, pull apart. But anyway, I, all I'm saying is, is that we need to be careful that we don't get distracted by the good. Let's be careful we don't get distracted here. Listen, I, I, I hope you can afford I I hope you can afford to go, go away. Listen, I think one of the best things you can do with your family is throw your phone away for a week and go on vacation. Don't, don't watch videos on the way down on vacation. Talk to your kids. Have fun playing games. Punch each other in the arm every time you see a yellow bug. You know, and do all that slug bug and all that stupid stuff with your kids. They'll love it. You'll make memories the rest of your life. You know, I, I'm telling you, Throw your phones away. Do not be distracted on vacation. Take your children with you and give your whole self to your kids for the whole week. I hope you can do that. And I think you need to the best you can, if you can do that. If you can't, God doesn't say you have to have it to be a happy home. He doesn't say you have to have that. And if you can't afford to go away and you have to stay home and have vacation, then stay home. But please don't teach your children that church is not important and that God's not number one by staying home instead. And watching on this is not the same as being here in God's house. That's right. Be careful what you teach your children. They learn the bad also. Notice this, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Notice that verse 4 again. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. The truth is, as you and I as believers are in a warfare, we are in a battle today. We know that our adversary is Satan himself. Listen, it's, you can still enjoy yourself in the midst of this warfare. You can still find time to spend it with your children. You can fight side by side with your family even. Man, some of the best times in my life and family are out knocking doors, out visiting, out doing the work of God. I do not regret one minute requiring my children to be here as much as possible. I never regret that. I've never regretted it. I wouldn't let one of my kids stay home from soul winning. I wouldn't let one of my kids miss a youth activity. I wouldn't let one of my kids not be involved in things going on at the church or not go to a service. No, that's not how it worked in my home. And may I say, I am very pleased and thankful that I did do that. Amen, and I didn't permit that. And someone says, yeah, that's just unrealistic. Wait a second. Good things can distract us from the best things. Good things. You say, what would you do about sports? My kids did not play sports outside the church because there were things going on in sports at that time that would have drawn them away on Wednesday nights or Amen. Sundays. I wasn't about to watch my kid miss a service in order to hit a baseball. Amen. I'm sorry. Amen. You don't have to agree with it. I'm just telling you there are things that I decided, according to that book, that are more important than leisure. You're right. Amen. Well, they'll learn team concept. They learn team concept out on team soul winning. They went out with the Couriers for Christ on Saturdays and they saw how to meet goals and they saw how to work with one another and they saw how to get along with kids and they saw how to get along with adults too. Hey, I'm okay with that. Hey, they didn't lose anything. My kids aren't, are, they're not perfect, but they seem fairly well adjusted and it didn't seem like the church killed them and the things of Christ were bad for them. I thought somebody said, you're running well. Remember how Brother Hamblin would say, you're running well? Leisure. Hey, let's be careful. Golfing's a great thing. Fishing. 
Wonderful. Hunting. Tennis. You can tell I've done all of these things, and I'm very good at all of them. Those are all wonderful things, and you can go a myriad of other things. A, a, a number of other things. But the good can distract from the best. Be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be careful. What Martha was doing was not wrong, inherently wrong. She was doing good things and necessary things. And I'm not opposed to a gentleman or a lady getting out and hitting a golf ball. And I'm not opposed to somebody taking a hunting trip and things like that. But wait a second. Be careful. Oh, we have a cabin down by the lake. And so for the summer, you won't see us, preacher. Well, you mean you're not coming to church for the summer? Now, that doesn't happen here because nobody in this place has enough money to do that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, wouldn't that be crazy to miss church all summer so we can spend time with our family and enjoy our cabin? We come back up for work every week, but we just can't stick around for church. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be horrible? Doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to me because what are we teaching our children that's most important? Oh, good thing to get away and to go to the lake. That's a wonderful thing. It can be so helpful and encouraging and uplifting. But hold on. What's most important? Does it not distract? The good can distract from the best. What about sitting at his feet? Well, you're not him and I'm not going to sit at your feet. Well, he's the one that said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. We like the trend of the new churches, preacher. They're getting away from all these services so much the more as you see the day approaching. But we like taking off that Wednesday night and Sunday night for family time so we can watch Dancing with the Stars together. And the fact is, is that we like that stuff. That's good, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. So whatever happened to the Bible? Well, we got to get away, and we need our time away, and we need leisure, and we need relaxation. Both of us work, and we're just going crazy. Then maybe you need to back off work. Come on. Because if it's distracting you from the best thing, then maybe that's a problem in your life today. And maybe if you just can't see your wife, your two ships passing in the night, maybe your wife ought to stay home a little more. Go ahead. Throw your marriage out the window to make a few dollars. Go ahead. Well, we have to have a nice house. Where's that say that in the Bible? Oh, you're just too radical about the ministry, preacher. You're nuts about this thing. Yeah, and Paul was a madman. That's what the Bible said. They said he was a mad. He's crazy. God help us to have some more mad men and women around here. I'm not talking about angry mad. I'm talking about just crazy for the Lord. Finally, last, our future, our retirement. Hey, listen, I, I'm thinking about those things right now. I'm thinking about them. Turn to view with the James chapter 4, verse 13. I'm thinking about retirement and those things. And someone says, well, why would you be thinking about that? You're a young man. I'm 53 years old. I understand that. I pray to God that uh, if he gives me more years, I'll take it. I'm not guaranteed any more years. But if I get those years, great. But hold on a second. Here's the thing. I don't, I don't want to retire from the work of God that I do. I, I love doing what I do. And I enjoy serving the Lord. I got to admit, the older I get, it, it makes it a little harder to do some of the things. I, those, I remember talking to uh, Brother, um, uh, and, and it shames me to even say this, but uh, Dr. Bruce Cummins was uh, the, the founder of, of the uh, Maslin Baptist Temple in Maslin. 
And I remember asking him at the age of about 68, 70, he was talking and thinking about retiring, and he was in, I think he was 70, 72. And I said, hey, Doc, I said, I'm just kind of curious. I went to lunch with him, and we'd do that from time to time. And I'd say, hey, I'm just curious. Why, why did you retire? I mean, what, what is it that motivated you? What was it about the ministry that, that caused you to feel it was time to get out? And here's what he said to me. He said, well, Brother, uh, brother O'Donnell, um, he said, I got tired of the 16-hour days. I couldn't do it anymore. And I felt that I was only going to hurt my church if I stayed where I was. I couldn't continue to keep going in the direction I was going. I couldn't continue to follow through with the work. I, couldn't have, I didn't have the stamina anymore. I didn't have the strength that I had when I was younger. And I felt I was becoming a liability to the ministry. Well, you know what? I never want to become a liability to this ministry. I don't ever get in a place where I can't do the work of God sufficiently and adequately to where it can continue to go forward and up instead of down. That's why I'm thinking about retirement. I'm always going to teach a Sunday school class. I'm, I'm always going to be a soul winner going out. That's, I've got to do that because that's what good Christians do. I mean, I've got to do the things that good Christians do. That, it doesn't matter whether you're a woman, a man, whatever. We've got things that we have to do as believers. So I'm going to do those things no matter what. But I may not be able to stand in this pulpit forever. So I'm preparing. I'm planning for that. I'm trying to get ready for that in some degree. Hold on. But that can become a distraction, can it? Look what the Bible says in James 4, verse 13. James chapter 4, verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little time then vanisheth away. For that ye thought to say, if the Lord will, we, will, we shall live and do this or that. We make all of our plans, and so many times we're making our plans without really, in our back of our mind, without really saying, God, <laughs> if this is what you will. <laughs> I want to retire, and I want to have a nice nest egg, and I want to be able to go forward with some things. I need to go forward with this slide. And there's nothing wrong with planning. It's a good thing to plan for the future. You need to plan. But be careful that you don't get distracted by the good. Well, I've got to work extra hours so that I can be prepared for retirement. And I won't be able to make it on this day. And I won't be able to do this. And I can't be involved in this. And I can't do that. And I'm just not going to be able to. I'm going to have to take kind of a break because I've really got to focus on the future, preacher. <laughs> you have been so deceived. Oh, hold on. Let's try to picture the future. You can't see this too good over there. That is a seat. And for just a moment, I'm going to show you the future. Hold on. Watch me very closely. Here's the future for every believer. Hold on. Here is a seat. And he who sits in it is Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. And you will stand before him and give an account for your life. That's your future. That's where it all ends. That's where everything culminates. Right there at the feet of Jesus, at the judgment seat of Christ. 
He'll be in his seat judging you for what you did with what he gave you from the time you were saved to the time you died. Well, Lord, I just could not serve you for a period of time because I was worried about my future. Future? This is your future. Don't you get it? We are so distracted by the good. Hey, listen, I hope you have $10 million saved up for retirement and that you continue to tithe faithfully. But the fact is, is that whether you have $10 million or you have 20 bucks in your account, you could die today anyway. And never spend a penny of it. And what have you gained other than teaching your family that all that matters is your future, of which you have no control over? I'm not, I'm not saying be ignorant and stupid about money. I, listen, nobody here pinches pennies probably any more than I try to. To a fault, I pinch pennies. I had to confess fault to my staff because I pinched so many pennies at the church. I've put us in a little bit of a bind financially because I want so much to be... No breathing room, staff. We're going to work with no breathing room financially because I'm pinching pennies. I might have gotten a little bit too overzealous pinching pennies. But here's the one thing. The one thing I know is this. There's not one penny worth standing before him that day and hanging my head for. Amen. That's good. Not one. So we have these five things. Family, finances, Job and career, leisure, future, retirement even. And we get finally back to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. A certain woman named Martha received him into her house and she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was comforted about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she helped me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. The good can distract from the best. Again, there's nothing inherently wrong with the good. That's not being, I'm not implying that at all. But we cannot allow ourselves to be deceived or distracted from the best. That's all. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan is a master distractor. He will deceive us into believing that even God supports our endeavors concerning the pursuit of good. Even when those pursuits distract us from God himself. That's how good he is at it. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It's, so it's obviously good to provide for your family. You, you, you're responsible, gentlemen, to re- supply or meet the need of your family. No doubt about that. However, we cannot neglect our God-given responsibilities 
But most of all, we cannot neglect the God that gave those responsibilities to us. So instead we say, I'm going to neglect the God who gave me the responsibility in order to fulfill the responsibility God gave. That makes no sense. Instead we need to say, I'm going to focus my attention specifically on God. He is going to be priority number one. And I will not allow, and nor will he allow me, to lack in priority number two. You don't neglect the God that gave us the responsibilities. It doesn't work that way. The good can distract from the best. Again, there's nothing wrong with the good, inherently wrong with it. But we cannot allow ourselves to be deceived or distracted from the best. Mary, excuse me, Mary was found at the feet of Jesus. Martha was cumbered about. The bottom line is this. Cumbered about with much care. She was troubled. On one hand, we have Martha. No doubt doing good. But distracted from the best. She was cumbered about. She was troubled. She was, oh, I've got to get this done. Man, the pressure's overwhelming. I can't deal with this. I've got to get this handled. I've got to get that done. What are we doing here? You put that down and you put that That's what the good without the best provides for you and I. Mary. Oh, that's good, Jesus. Oh, that's, you're right. Oh, praise the Lord. Okay. And there's a lot of work that needs done, but it'll be okay, won't it? I can do it with your help, can't I? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad I met with you today. See, that's the best. And then all this other stuff falls into place. Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord.